We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Episode 5 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, February 25th, 2021. Yes, I know. February 25th. February is almost over. You know, the two slowest months of the year in terms of sports tend to be this month, February and July. Yeah, February. Only a moron would start a sports podcast in the month of February, one of the slowest sports months of the year. But, but, actually, quite a bit has happened this month. In terms of DC sports, it's not like we've had nothing to talk about on this podcast so far. And here we are now, almost done with February. Life moves quickly, uh, does it not? NFL free agency is coming up. Uh, the new league year gets going on March 17th. The number one free agent to be for our team, the Washington football team, in terms of money and stature, is Brandon Sheriff. 
I said Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff. Yes, thank you, Roger Goodell. I will lay out for you on today's podcast what I absolutely do not want from Washington regarding Brandon Sheriff this offseason. Also, Washington football team insider Ben Standig of The Athletic DC, he'll be joining me on this installment of the podcast in just a bit. We're going to get into a lot with Ben, including the Alex Smith comments to GQ.com. What was the true impetus for those Alex comments, those un-Alex-like comments by Alex? Uh, Also, Ben, with a fresh piping hot article on the Brandon Sheriff situation. And I know some of you have been asking about this. This is the episode in which I address my departure from the Team 980. Yes, the controversy, the drama, the intrigue, all of that will be covered a little bit later on. But before we go any further, I have to again thank you people. You guys have been unbelievable in terms of supporting this podcast. And yesterday, I came across something that I could not believe. This podcast The Al Galdi Podcast, just four episodes in, number 13 on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. sports category. Number 13 in the country on Apple Podcasts in terms of U.S. sports pods. That was unbelievable. Your support for this podcast, I cannot thank you enough. And let me make this clear, that ranking is a testament to you. Your support, your mobilizing, your fervor, your commitment, your dedication, your loyalty, that's about you. So thank you, a million thank yous for something like that. In fact, as you are getting your Thursday going, or maybe you're listening to this later in the day, whatever the case may be, take a moment, take a moment right now if you would. Find a mirror, any mirror will do, okay? And look in that mirror right now. Stare yourself in the face and say it loud and say it proud. I am the man. I am the reflection of perfection. I am the number one selection. Because again, that's a testament to you, that ranking. Number 13 in the freaking country. I could not get over that yesterday. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for all the support of this podcast so far. One more thing uh, before we truly get going here. Today is Thursday. And I have received a lot of questions from you guys regarding Go-Go Thursday. Lots of tweets. You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. Uh, you can always email me to the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Here's the deal with Go-Go Thursday. I would love to continue doing it, but I need to figure out a way to do it in the podcast arena. Uh, as we discussed, you can only use non-copyrighted music on these podcasts unless you have proper permission to use the copyrighted music. So. I don't want to do Go-Go Thursday just to do Go-Go Thursday. I want to do Go-Go Thursday the right way. I want to be able to play all the songs you guys love hearing. I want to be able to play songs we've never played. You know, I I don't want to be handcuffed in terms of what we do with Go-Go Thursday. So I want to be able to do it right if, in fact, we can do it right. So that's kind of where things stand right now with Go-Go Thursday. But if we're going to do our proper kneeling at the altar of the music of the nation's capital. If we are going to pay proper homage to the music of Washington, D.C., want to do it the right way. You know, I don't, I don't want to just go through the motions. Go-Go Thursday is special. Go-Go Thursday, you know, the sanctity of Go-Go Thursday must be preserved. So we're going to try to figure out a way to do that if, in fact, that way does exist. All right, here we go. 
So the window within which NFL teams can tag players began on Tuesday and is going to last up until March 9th. March 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern is the deadline by which NFL teams can tag players. And, you know, we're very much off and running here into the NFL offseason now. The tag window is up and running. The legal tampering period is going to get going on March 15th. And then the NFL's new league year, i.e. the official start of free agency in the trade season, uh, that begins on March 17th. The biggest Washington football team free agent in terms of his status on the team, in terms of the money he was paid this past season, is, of course, the right guard, Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff played the 2020 season under the terms of a non-exclusive franchise tag tender of around $15 million. Any player who is tagged for a second consecutive year gets a 20% raise. So, with Brandon Sheriff going back into free agency this offseason, a franchise tagging of Sheriff for a second straight year is going to give him a guaranteed 2021 salary of about $18 million. And I want to say this, and I want to say this as clearly as I can. I want no part of Brandon Sheriff playing for Washington under the terms of a second consecutive franchise tag tender. I want one of two things with this Sheriff free agency part deux this offseason. I want Washington to sign Sheriff to a long-term deal, or I want Washington to tag Sheriff and trade him. Really, it's time to put up or shut up with the Brandon Sheriff scenario. You're either going to lock him up and have him here for the long haul, or at least for multiple years, you know, because maybe it's like, I don't know, a three-year deal or something like that, not a six-year deal. Or you're going to tag him, you're going to trade him, you're going to get back something of consequence for him. Point blank, period. We all learned with the Kirk Cousins saga, the Kirk Cousins cha-cha-cha, where back-to-back franchise tags gets you, okay? It's a one-way ticket who overpaying someone over a two-year stretch, and then that guy walking away and you getting next to nothing for him, right? Because you can get a compensatory pick in the third round, uh, as high as the third round, if the guy gets a big money contract elsewhere. But the Kirk Cousins saga was a lesson for everyone on how not to handle a big money player, a talented player, a franchise tag worthy player. So to go down that path again would be ludicrous, okay? It would be absurd. I have no interest in our team, the Washington football team, doing that again. Now remember, there are multiple versions of the franchise tag. You have what Washington used on Sheriff last offseason, the non-exclusive franchise tag. A player with that tag can actually sign an offer sheet with another team. Uh, There's also the exclusive rights franchise tag. Any player with that tag is bound to the team for the upcoming season, and the guy's agent cannot seek offer sheets elsewhere. Washington has actually utilized both versions of the tag. Actually did so with Kirk. In 2016, Kirk got slapped with the non-exclusive franchise tag. 2017, Kirk got slapped with the exclusive rights tag. If Washington tags Sheriff again, I would expect it to be that non-exclusive franchise tag. But I don't think Washington wants to tag Sheriff again. I don't think Washington should tag Sheriff again. It's very interesting. The whole Kirk saga really changed the way you view the franchise tag from a perspective of, is it good for the player or bad for the player? For years, players perceive franchise tags as bad. You know, I'll never forget it. When Washington franchise tagged Brian Arakpo, a.k.a. Brian Arapko, if you're Vinny Serrato, in 2014, Arakpo acted like, you know, he'd been indicted. I mean, he was like not happy about it at all. 
And the Kirk situation, I think, really transformed things to where now you can look at it very much so, if you're smart anyway, and say, you know what? This actually works to my benefit as a player. So long as you're willing to play under the terms of a franchise tag tender, and Kirk clearly was, that can end up helping you to maximize your value, to get every last penny possible, as Kirk essentially has with his contract situations over the years. So if I'm Brandon Sheriff, I'm not going to be all broken up if Washington tags me for a second straight year. And if Washington tags Sheriff and he signs the tender, and again, he's guaranteed $18 million. I mean, think about that. $18 million for a guard. Um, that works to Sheriff's benefit because that only raises the bar for a potential long-term contract. Remember, you can tag a guy and still work out a long-term deal. The deadline by which you need to work out a long-term deal with a franchise tag player isn't until July. But if Sheriff made about $15 million last year and has signed a tender to make $18 million for this upcoming season, why is he going to settle for anything less than, I don't know, $16, $17 million a year under the terms of a long-term deal? So I, I don't want him to be tagged in and that being like, a possibility of him, you know, playing under the terms of a second straight tag. It's either you work out the long-term deal or you tag him and trade him. So if Washington does tag him, it's not going to be because Washington is truly looking for him to be on the team in 2021. It's going to be just as a placeholder so that Washington can then trade him at some point this offseason. And for those of you wondering, well, do tag and trades happen? They do. They've actually happened quite a bit over the last few years. Unique Ngakwe, Jadevian Clowney, Frank Clark, all have been tagged and traded over the last two years. So tagging a player and then trading that player that offseason, that does happen. Uh, and it's happened multiple times over these last few seasons. The issue with Brandon Sheriff is not his performance. Like to me, if you say, okay, Galdi, would you be an advocate for Washington signing Sheriff to a long-term contract? Yes. Yes, I would be. Uh, Brandon Sheriff is a very good player. Look, the guy was first team all pro for this past season. Brandon Sheriff was voted to the Associated Press's all pro first team, ending the drought, which as many of you know, was Washington having not had an all pro first team selection since the 1996 season. Matt Turk, a punter, had been Washington's last all pro first team selection until Brandon Sheriff this past year. And the truth is this, Washington had had some special teams guys make first team all pro back in that mid 90s area, like Turk made it in 96. Brian Mitchell was an all pro first team pick as a return man in 1995. And actually another punter, Reggie Roby, made the all pro first team for the 1994 season. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Washington in each of three consecutive seasons had an all pro selection on special teams. Reggie Roby in 94, B. Mitch in 95, Matt Turk in 96. But in terms of a player on offense or defense, Washington had not had a first-team All-Pro selection since the great linebacker Wilbur Marshall in 1992. So Brandon Sheriff in 2020, first Washington offensive slash defensive player to be first-team All-Pro since Wilbur Marshall in 1992. Sheriff is good. You know, if you go by the pro football focus stuff, Brandon Sheriff finished the 2020 regular season fourth out of 43 qualified right guards in terms of overall grade. Uh, the overall grade was at 84.1. Those PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Now, look, where does Brandon Sheriff rank among all guards in the NFL? I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've studied tape of every guard and can tell you with complete conviction where Sheriff ranks, but we know he's good. We know he's good. Like, the, the, the biggest complaint I would have with Sheriff in terms of when he's on the field, he had some penalty issues a, a couple of seasons back. 2019, Sheriff had eight accepted penalties nine total penalties 
And one of the killer things about those penalties, five of them were first half holding penalties. Way too many holds for Sheriff in 2019. But that's been like about it in terms of the complaining of Brandon Sheriff when he plays. The complaining, though, about Sheriff is, again, when he plays, okay? The biggest issue with Brandon Sheriff is his injury history. The guy misses time. He missed three more games this past regular season. He, over the last three years, 2018 through 2020, has missed a total of 16 games. He's missed the equivalent of a full season over the last three seasons. He missed three games this past year due to a reported sprain right MCL. 2019, he missed five games. He was inactive for two straight games due to an ankle injury. Uh, He then got put on injured reserve in December of having been inactive for the previous game due to shoulder and elbow injuries. And then in 2018, he missed eight games due to being put on IR in November due to a torn pec. So he's had a variety of ailments here. And I know some people are like, well, you know, this is just kind of bad luck and happenstance. And, you know, there is an element uh, to that, of course. There is an element of that, of course. But you have to ask the question of, is this just a guy whose body is such, whose physiology is such, to where he gets hurt? You know, muscles tear, tendons tear, bones break. Not everyone is London Fletcher, Ryan Kerrigan in terms of durability. And Brandon Sheriff certainly has not been that. I mean, 16 missed games over the last three years, is not nothing. And if you look around the NFL and you look at the top guards in the league in terms of money, like if you go to overthecap.com and you search up the top guards in the league when it comes to average annual value, AAV. So like some of the names that come up, Joe Tooney, the New England Patriots left guard, he has played in every game for the Pats over his five NFL seasons, 2016 through 2020. You look at someone like Brandon Brooks, the Philadelphia Eagles right guard. He played in every game for the Eagles over three years, 2017 through 2019. Now, he did miss all of this past season due to a torn left Achilles. So, okay, but prior to that, he was extremely durable. Uh, Zach Martin, the Dallas Cowboys right guard. He played in 94 of a possible 96 regular season games over his first six years, 2014 through 2019. Did just play in 10 games in 2020, but a substantial track record of durability for him, albeit until this past year. And then, you know, someone like Andrew Norwell, Jacksonville Jaguars left guard, missed three games for the Jags in 2020, missed five games for the Jags in 2018, but played in all 16 regular season games in 2016 and 2017 for the Carolina Panthers and in 2019 for the Jaguars. And then one more for you, Kevin Zeitler, the New York Giants right guard, 95 of a possible 96 regular season games over six seasons, 2015 through 2020. So you're hearing there with those guys, Tooney, Brooks, Martin, Norwell, Zeitler, these guys post. These guys, for the most part, can be counted on. You've not been able to count on Brandon Sheriff from an availability standpoint. And that, to me, has been the number one thing in terms of, do you want to pay him the top of the market money that he's seeking. Brandon Sheriff pretty clearly is seeking $15, $16 million per year. Do you want to be paying that kind of money to someone who every year you've got to assume is going to be missing, you know, three, four games minimum? This is exactly the situation that Washington had with Jordan Reed for years. There was never any question of his talent or his production when he played. There was a question of, would he play? He was like never available. And with Brandon Sheriff, there's a similar theme there of, he has a hard time 
staying healthy. And another thing with Sheriff along these lines is this, and I'm not sure how much this matters for a guard because we know that guards can be good deep into their 30s. But understand, Brandon Sheriff is old for his draft class. Washington took Sheriff with the number five pick in the 2015 draft. This upcoming season will be Sheriff's age 30 season. He's already going into his 30s. And for comparison's sake, Landon Collins, he got taken in that same draft. Landon Collins was a second round pick by the Giants in the 2015 draft. He's going into just his age 27 season. So two guys, same draft, Sheriff and Collins. Sheriff is going into his age 30 season. Collins is going into his age 27 season. So again, I'm not sure how much that matters. Offensive linemen can be good well into their 30s. But understand, it's not like Sheriff is 24, okay? He's going into his age 30 season. Are are you willing truly to pay 15, 16, $17 million a year to an injury-prone guard, an oft-injured guard, going into his 30s. And that's another thing. That would be a secondary issue with whether you want to pay Brandon Sheriff. The position, guard. As Jay Gruden once said, he's a guard, right? Never forget when Jay Gruden got asked about where Washington was at from a player personnel standpoint, and he threw complete shade on both Josh Doxson and Brandon Sheriff. Yeah, we're getting there. But, you know, we've had what, uh, two first-round picks since I've been here? One of them hasn't played it down or played one one game, and the other one's a guard. Yeah, that is an all-time classic. That might be, and this is saying something, that might be my all-time favorite Jay Gruden bite when he referred to Brandon Sheriff as he's a guard, okay? And, and it's the way he said guard, but it's also just the fact that he referred to him as he's a guard, right? It was just with such disdain of he's a guard. We spent a top-five pick on a guard. And the other one's a guard. Yeah, it's just, he's an all-timer from Jay Gruden. But he's not wrong when he says that. If you're ranking the most important positions on offense in football, guard is near the bottom. And it's not to say that guard doesn't matter. Everything matters. But you can find guards on the cheap. It happens all the time. A lot of guards are failed tackles. You know, it's like in baseball, a lot of relievers are failed starters. You're a reliever because you're not good enough to be a starter. A lot of guards are guards because they're not good enough to be tackles. Remember, when Washington took Sheriff with that number five pick in 2015, Washington took him as a right tackle, quickly moved him to right guard on the second day of training camp in 2015. Washington very quickly figured out this guy could not do it. He could not play the position of right tackle. So Morgan Moses got installed as the first team right tackle. Sheriff got shifted over to right guard. And to his credit, he's done a good job at that spot. But he is a failed offensive tackle. Like, let's be honest about what he is. And, you know, you look at some of the aforementioned guys I brought up regarding other well-paid guards in the NFL. Take a listen to where they were found, okay? Joe Tooney was taken in the third round of the 2016 draft. Brandon Brooks was taken in the third round of the 2012 draft. Shaq Mason, another quality guard, fourth round in the 2015 draft. Andrew Norwell, he came into the NFL in 2014 as an undrafted free agent. You can find quality guard play on the cheap. Look, Washington is an example of this. Eric Flowers in 2019, Wes Schweitzer in 2020. Those have been your two primary left guards in terms of the last two years here. Each guy was a free agent signing on the cheap the previous offseason. So like I said, Sheriff is very good at what he does, but what he does can be found on the cheap. Do you want to be paying $15, 16 $17 million a year 
when you can maybe find someone for a million dollars or two million dollars who can be close enough to what that guy brings to the table. Now, Washington does have the cap room to sign Brandon Sheriff to a long-term big money contract. It's not like Washington can't afford to sign Brandon Sheriff. So I'm not against giving him the big money that he wants. You're really in a position now to where if you're going to sign him to a long-term deal, you're going to have to give him top of the market money. He made first team all pro this past year. The money for guards has gone up in recent years. You're not going to be able to do a deal for, you know, 12, 13 million dollars a year. Like to get the deal done, you're going to have to give him 15, 16 million dollars a year, that kind of a thing. So if Washington does it, I can understand Washington doing it. Washington has the cap space. Sheriff is very good. And keep this in mind. And this is something that has to be recognized when it comes to the sheriff contract situation and really any contract situation. While the salary cap is going down for the next year due to the pandemic and the lost revenues of not having fans at games for the most part uh, in 2020, the cap is going to skyrocket beyond that. The NFL is working on new contracts with its four major national television partners, Fox, CBS, NBC, and ESPN, ABC. Did you see this recently? Alex Sherman, a reporter for CNBC.com in a piece published last Friday, okay, February 19th, reported that the NFL is looking, you ready for this, for a 100% increase from its network league partners. The NFL right now is making $5 billion per year in annual television revenue from, again, Fox, CBS, NBC, and ESPN, ABC. The NFL is looking to double that to $10 billion per year. The salary cap is based on league revenues. If the television revenue is about to double from $5 billion to $10 billion, even if it doesn't double, even if it's like, you know, from $5 billion to $8 billion or $9 billion, we know whatever it ends up being, that is a huge increase. And by the way, I haven't even brought up the DirecTV Sunday ticket scenario. DirecTV pays the NFL $1.5 billion per year. That contract is set to expire after the 2022 season. So that money is almost certain to go up. League revenues are going to fly to the moon in the coming years. You add to that gambling revenue and the unexplored frontier that is that and the influx of money that legalized gambling is going to be bringing to the NFL The salary cap for this past season was $200 million. It could be at $300 million in just a few years, okay? Because all of these television contracts, they're coming up. ESPN deal is done after 2021. The CBS, Fox, and NBC deals are done after 22. Like I said, the DirecTV deal is done after 2022. So all of these new contracts, the money from them is going to be coming sooner rather than later. And again, the NFL is looking for a massive increase. So if the cap is about to go to, say, $300 million, paying Brandon Sheriff $15, $16, 17000000 dollars per year isn't going to look nearly as onerous in just a few years as it would seem to be right now. There's a saying that I have that I've used many times, and you've heard me use it. Today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. In the environment that is this constant rising cap, in the NFL, lock in a guy at a price today, and it will look so much better tomorrow. That's why when it comes to Sheriff, if you want to do the long-term deal, 
go ahead and do it. But do it or tag and trade him. Don't just tag him and let him walk away after this year. He cannot be playing for Washington under the terms of a franchise tag for a second consecutive season. Get the cost certainty with a long-term contract with Sheriff because, again, it's going to look like a relative bargain in just a few years, assuming Sheriff continues to be a high-level guard. Now, there's one more thing to throw into this mix when it comes to all this television money that's going to be coming in for the NFL. Because the contracts are all coming up and because everyone believes the cap is going to soar after 2021, there has been this recent phenomenon of free agents signing shorter contracts so as to re-enter free agency in a few years when the cap is expected to be much higher. So it may not be that Brandon Sheriff is willing to do, say, a five or six-year deal. It may be that the longest-term deal that Sheriff is willing to do is, say, for three years, okay? If that's the case, go ahead and do it. Fine. Um, You know, you can't make a guy sign a five-year contract if he doesn't want to. But that is an interesting thing with NFL free agency. Like, know this. In 2019, 16 of the top 20 free agent contracts by average annual value, AAV, were for four or more years. So most of the big money contracts were longer-term contracts. 16 of the top 20 AAV deals four more years. Last offseason, 2020, just eight of the top 20 deals by AAV were for four or more seasons. Players and agents aren't dumb. They know that the cap is going to be going up. So it may not be that you can do a five-year type deal with Brandon Sheriff. That's fine. If you can do three years, go ahead and do that. But don't just do the one-year tag, have him play for that, and then risk a repeat of the Kirk scenario and Sheriff just walking away. If you want to sign him to a long-term deal, go ahead and do it. I don't like the injury history, but I know not everyone is going to be an Iron Man, and he is quite good. But do the long-term deal or tag and trade him. Do not have him back playing for you in 2021 under the terms of a second straight franchise tag tender. And the other one's a guard. Exactly. Thank you, Jay Gruden. Now to our guest. He is one of my favorites when it comes to talking Washington football. And I always have to sneak in some Wizards conversation with him because I know he cares about the team so much. And it's been really interesting with what's been going on with our Wizards. And we'll get to them in due time here. But he is Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC on for the first time on the Al Galdi podcast. Ben, it is great to have you on, man. How are you? Uh, oh, I'm doing great, man. Excited to uh, to be on the pod. Uh, excited to see where you, where you take this thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I expect a sizable spike in downloads for this episode because you're on it. I just hope that you know that. <laughs> no, no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, it's been a while since you and I have talked Washington football team, uh, at least on the air. We've spoken off the air a bit over the last few weeks. But of course, one of the big items this week, the Alex Smith comments, the GQ.com. I know you were all over them when they came out the other day. Were you as surprised as a lot of people that Alex actually verbalized publicly how he felt about the way he was treated or not so much? Yeah, I thought it was very surprising. In fact, like when I first saw the interview being tweeted out, I was like, oh boy, another Alex Smith interview? Like, I mean, how many has he had just in the last, you know, since the season ended more or less? It's just been so many. Of course, obviously his story is, you know, incredible and, and I totally understand why people would be interested, but it's just like, wow, another, another one. Okay. And, and, and I almost didn't even click on it immediately because I'm like, all right, well, I kind of know where this is going to go. They're going to ask about the, you know, 
how he how he recovered from you know the initial shock of the, of the leg injury and, and how he recovered and how he you know went to to a military uh, you know to, to, to have some mil- the military folks help him out and you know the, the, the guts to doing this the willingness and then he comes back and then he gets on the field and Aaron Donald's on his back and then he plays and then they start winning games and all that stuff and then you're like oh wait no there's something else happening here he's kind of taking a shot is the way I would look at it to to go the way he did. I thought it was really, really interesting that he, it's not so much that it was that surprising on a certain level because I, for one, didn't imagine he would ever play again and therefore felt like he was sort of in the way. And I could imagine a new coaching staff who, you know, sort of just getting, trying to get things going could view it the same way. But for him to sort of, verbalize it in that way was especially just based on who he is what he has said you know I, that way was kind of a surprise so I have a theory about the comments and I want to run them by you and see what you think run the uh, theory by you so Ron to me it, it's been pretty obvious like the way he's spoken about Alex over the last few months I, I don't think Ron is enthused at all about Alex being back on the team in 2021 like whether you go back to Ron unprompted bringing up the notion of Alex retiring during the season the famous Ron response on December 30th when he gets asked, would you be here if not for Alex? And he says, yeah, if Kyle Allen had stayed healthy. And then the comments from Ron since the season ended, where every time he gets asked about Alex, Ron is totally noncommittal about him being back on the team. And it just kind of feels to me like, I mean, Alex isn't stupid. He's hearing of all this. He's reading of this. And so he kind of feels like the writing's on the wall. He's probably not going to be back. And so he's like, why not, you know, speak my truth and say how I feel and say how things truly were back last offseason? Do, do you think that that is valid, that this was sort of like Alex's way of striking back at these very lukewarm, if not cold comments from Ron in recent months regarding Alex's future with the team? Yeah, I think there's something to that. And, you know, and obviously you try to, you know, get a sense from, from people, you know, in and around the team about, about what was going on here. And, you know, had a couple of people sort of point to the comment that Rivera made late in the season, which stood out. You know, I know I sort of jerked my head up in real time when I heard this, and the question was, do you think that you guys could have had the success you had without Alex Smith, which seems like a fairly, you know, softball kind of a question. Obviously, the, the Alex Smith comeback story is incredible. They went, you know... Uh, they won his last five starts. They went five and one with him at quarterback. Uh, obviously, they only won seven games all year. So you can do the math on what they did when he wasn't starting. So it seemed like a reasonable thing to just say, "Look, obviously Alex had a great, you know, it was, it was such an amazing comeback. His leadership was great, and yeah, I mean, he played a huge role in our comeback, in our, in our turnaround this year." And instead, Rivera said, "Yeah, we could have done the same thing basically with Kyle Allen." And I, I have to imagine that Alex Smith especially now in light of what he said, that Alex Smith heard that and was like, uh, what now? Uh, you know, fine, you think Kyle Allen's good, but like, it seems, it seems unnecessary to say that uh, in, in that moment in the, in, in the context of everything else. So, yeah, that was, um, I, I, like I said, I, I, people, some people pointed to that and, um, you know, and then we you know, also like look at some comments made during the season or at some point. I think I think I asked him this. I'm not sure, but I think I may have asked Alex Smith about Ron Rivera and you know just sort of his you know kind of thoughts on being with him kind of all year. And looking at the answer, at least in, in print, it's not exactly the warm and fuzzies 
uh, relative to the way you heard other people, Brandon Sheriff and others, really went overboard talking about uh, Ron Rivera and how much they liked playing for him. So, yeah, maybe there were some signs all along about the, the two of them not being, you know, BFFs, but at the same point, it was still pretty surprising. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, it does feel like Alex is on the way out. It seems logical he would be on the way out. Maybe on some level he's, like, tired of waiting and, and all that, although he's still claiming he hasn't made a decision what he wants to do, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Um, so yeah, I think the theory is, I think the theory is reasonable for, for, for sure. And, and like I said, ultimately this felt like this is heading in the direction of Alex playing somewhere else next year anyway. And maybe he just got tired. Look, it's also hard to tell because this was print, not video. So again, sometimes context, you know, without hearing it, it, it could be, it could sound different than it comes across on print, but pretty interesting comments on it. Yeah, no doubt. So you do think that it's over, that Alex is going to be gone from the team either via retirement or being released this offseason? Um, I mean, that's been my assumption all along. The only reason why I would think that maybe it wouldn't um, would simply be, you know, they, they value his leadership so much and that they couldn't, figure out another option. And look, that's the thing, right? Those, the available quarterback market, if they do want to bring in somebody else, isn't that exciting? You know, there, there's some rec- it's a lot of reclamation projects or stopgap candidates, and that's it. There's no Matthew Staffords anymore. So it's not the most exciting. But all that said, Alex Smith is on the books for a $19 million salary, $23 million plus uh, cap hit. None of that's you know, going to work realistically. And, uh, you know, this team is... There, you know, then can you can you count on him for 16 weeks, right? And I think that's as big of an issue as any. I would argue the answer is not probably not, regardless of what he did this year. So um, yeah, my assumption has been that they would move on, and his comments only it sort of enforce that for me. A hundred percent. The comments definitely don't make you think it's likely that he's back, or even necessarily that he wants to be back. We're talking with Washington Football Team insider Ben Standing of the Athletic D.C. So, of course, it's been the storyline of the offseason so far and really will continue to be until there's some kind of resolution, and that is what is next for Washington at quarterback. Taylor Heineke has been re-signed. Kyle Allen is almost certain to be re-signed as an exclusive rights-free agent. Tried and failed to trade for Matthew Stafford. It certainly doesn't look like Deshaun Watson will be being traded to Washington. You know, Russell Wilson is a pipe dream. And like you said, you're left with the Marcus Mariotas and the Ryan Fitzpatricks and potentially the Sam Darnolds of the world. Do you think there is an ideal fit when it comes to these potentially available veteran quarterbacks? Or do you think this might be an offseason where Washington just chooses to punt on the veteran market and maybe draft someone uh, in terms of trying to find a third option for the quarterback room for 2021? Yeah, so this is part of their dilemma, right? If you wait for the draft, you're, you got, I mean, you could always, of course, trade up within the draft and then lock in somebody that way. But how high do you even have to go? Some mock drafts have four quarterbacks in the first four picks, even if that's extreme. Um, you know, you're, it, it feels like a lot of guys will go top 10. There are five quarterbacks being projected with first round, and, and it's possible none of them are there at 19. So that's a risk to wait. And if you sign a veteran, um, you know, again, it's just like, are any of them so much better than, than what you have? I'm not saying that like Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't proven that he would be, you know, on paper better than, than Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke and Marcus Mariota may be the same, especially if you can fix him or Jameis Winston, uh, you know. But 
you know, it's just none of those guys are super exciting or have or should logically have anybody thinking they're going to push Washington from a seven-win team to a ten-win team. Um, all, all that said, I, I would still imagine that they do go down the veteran path. I mean, not only is I mean, Kyle Allen is not technically on the roster yet, as exclusive rights free agent. That just feels like it's just a formality that they'll get that done. He's also coming off an ankle ankle uh, surgery, so you, you have to have probably some extra heads there. And while Taylor Heineke obviously had a, a fun game against Tampa Bay, you know, he was out of the league 10 seconds before that. So I wouldn't automatically say you feel good about him being your starter. But I think you have to have somebody else. And I would kind of think, I, I've been saying all along, like to me, I would rather them go for a, a Winston, a Mariota, a Mitch Trubisky, somebody in that range, a, a, a young player with some potential who didn't work somewhere, you hope with your coaching staff you can fix them and aim for the upside rather than sort of take the safe route, which would be like a, an Andy Dalton or a Tyrod Taylor. That, to me, makes more sense, especially since you have Allen and Heineke and you kind of have a feeling for what they are. So I would go that route. It shouldn't, cost, shouldn't break the bank. I guess some people would point to Sam Darnold. I should mention him that he may be of like the likely quarterbacks to be available, the best hope for current and upside. But that's going to cost you some kind of high, some kind of day two pick for the Jets, and you have to know that you really like Sam Darnold because you're either going to have to extend him the fifth year or give him or give him an extension pretty quickly, and you don't know what he is yet. So, and he obviously wasn't that great with the Jets. So. It, that's the issue. There's no good options. Or there's no there's no easy options would probably be the better way to phrase it. For sure. So you don't see them punting on the veteran market and just trying to get someone via the draft. You think they're going to try to get someone either via trade or free agency? I mean, that would be my guess. Like I said, it's just you're, if you wait for the draft. I mean, look, it, it would. I mean, so things to start becoming more complicated, right? You could always draft the quarterback day two, day three. But, you know, if you now have a veteran, you have Kyle Allen, you have Taylor Heineke, like, what are you doing? It's harder to, to add that extra piece. And that was what, to me, was interesting about them keeping Heineke. It kind of, to me, ruled out drafting a quarterback, hmm. if that makes any sense. Because I don't know how, like I said, you can't guarantee that one of these guys will be there in the first round. I mean, you could, again, trade up. But, you know, that, that that's, you know, that, I mean, that's, and that's not the craziest thought in the world, but you would have to trade up most likely if that's your plan. And then if you don't, but you've now signed a veteran. You have a veteran. You have Kyle Allen. You have Taylor Heineke. What are you, you know, what are you doing? You drafting a quarterback in the fourth round? What now? What? Uh, so I do kind of feel like we may have reached a point where they're just going to have like Kyle Allen and Heineke be sort of, and I guess maybe if Steven Montez is on the practice squad again, be sort of the, some hodgepodge of that's our. We'll see if we can turn one of these guys into something more, and then go from there for the rest of the year with whatever this other veteran quarterback might be. You mentioned turning these guys into something more. Ben is, of course, the host of his own podcast, the Standing Room Only podcast. And on your recent installment with Robert Mays, terrific NFL writer for The Ringer, you guys got into that, the idea of Washington fixing, you know, a Mariota or a Darnold, etc. Uh, look, Ryan Tannehill, I think, has given hope to just about anyone in any situation where a guy can look like a bust or look very mediocre and then be a totally different guy in the right situation with the right team. Do you think the Washington football team is capable of transforming a Mariota or a Darnold into something that he previously has not been? Yeah, and that's a great it's a great question. And, you know, there are probably other people who are in my position, maybe others on the beat or, or whatever, who'd be willing to tell you definitively, absolutely, or no way, 
model tough to them. I, I can't sit here and say that. I guess we could point to some track record on some level, right? I mean, uh, you know, when, when Ken Van Peasy was with Cincinnati is when you know, Andy Dalton was coming through the ranks. And obviously, Jake Gruden, you know, got a lot of credit for that. But, you know, he was there for that. Um, Scott Turner was in Minnesota when Teddy Bridgewater was kind of coming through the, the, the pipeline. And I guess if you bit Kyle Allen has, you know, look, he's proven to be at a minimum a viable NFL quarterback, if not, you know, not necessarily a starter, but a guy who was from an undrafted player to a guy who has now started, you know, a full season's worth of NFL games, essentially, uh, and, and, you know, and, not, and not, you know, falling on his face, you know, generally speaking, um, you got to have to give some credit right to Scott Turner and, and some others there. So I guess to that end, the answer would be yes. The question, I guess, is, and they identify which of these guys is the one to, to fix. And, you know, there's reasons to be pro or con all of them. Um, and that's part of the problem is that the, the, the list of the pros and the cons seem to be pretty, pretty even. Um, so I think to me that's more of a question. Can they figure out which of these guys is the one they could fit, fix? And then to that end, how can you, you know, how do you get them? What a transition to the Brandon Sheriff situation. So the window within which NFL teams can tag players has begun. It's going to last until March 9th. Of course, Washington last season had Brandon Sheriff under the terms of the non-exclusive franchise tag to the tune of about $15 million. If they tag him again, it's a 20% raise. You're talking an $18 million salary for 2021. I tweeted this the other day. I have no interest in Brandon Sheriff back playing for this team under the terms of a second straight tag. I think this offseason is put up or shut up. They, they either need to get the long-term deal done or they need to tag and trade them. Uh, a, do you see it that way? And B, what's your sense on what ultimately ends up happening with the sheriff contract situation? So I don't have your mathematical brain <laughs> to figure out these things out. I, I'm not, I can't even balance my own checkbook, let alone figure out NFL salary stuff. So when I hear things sometimes that it doesn't, don't make sense to me, I'm sort of inclined by, by my own insecurities to think like, well, this must be a me thing. So when I start hearing people saying they should use the tag on Sheriff to come up with a long-term deal, I'm just like, that makes no sense <laughs> to me. And this is something I'm actually going to be writing for the athletics, so I won't step on it completely. But, like, I don't understand. Understand it. Uh, what if you know? We just went through this with Kirk Cousins, and obviously, this is not the same thing because a quarterback is different. Even if that didn't make any sense either, that's still a quarterback. This is not, which makes it even less makes even less sense to me that you would use a tag. I guess ultimately, make him the best offer or don't. Like, I, like you know, you know how you have to know what the market is reasonably. He made fifteen million last year. On the franchise tag, the current highest-paid guard not on the tag is Brandon Brooks and Philly, just over fourteen million. So, if you think to yourself, okay, well, fifteen to sixteen million annual average salary uh, or you know, annual average value is is a number, and based on that, it'll be you know X amount in guaranteed money, and and maybe there's a way to do a few things within the contract to sort of help you know head to bit with regards to injury. Make that offer. I mean, I just don't understand why you would want to give him a second tag. He's going to sign it. And then at that point, what's the incentive for him to definitively lock in a longer-term deal? He's going to get $18 million for next year. That's going to be a ton of money. And um, 
you're all, you're also ensuring he's not going to be on the team in 2022 because you're not going to give him a third tag. And now he's going to use that 18 million as sort of the negotiating point for a new deal, which you're not going to want to pay, right? So it just doesn't make any sense for where they are and the money and everything else. So I'm kind of with you. It's like make him make if you want to keep him, make him the best deal you have right now. Don't screw around. And if he's not willing to do it, yeah, then figure out some sort of like you said a, a tag and trade or. Or just accept the fact that you're moving on to spend the money somewhere else. Like people will react like, "Oh, you just lost Brandon Scherf for nothing." Well, I mean, if you spend the money on another position, then, you know you didn't really. You just you allocated the money somewhere else. But you got to do. That's what I would agree. I don't understand the tag myself. He has wanted top of the market money. The reason not to give it to him would not be the performance, right? I mean, his first team all pro last year, he is a very good guard when he's healthy. The, the thing is the health. He's missed a total of 16 games over the last three years. You also, also could throw in the fact that he plays a position that's not one of the more premium positions in football, right? The, the belief has always been that you can find guards on the cheap. I mean, you want good guard play, but a lot of the better guards are non-first round pick types. Is Sheriff to you worthy of, say, 14, 15, 16 million dollars per year, which presumably is what it's going to take from an AV standpoint to get a long term deal done? So, obviously, like you just laid out, paying a guard that kind of money, brought, you know, in general, is not ideal and something you probably wouldn't want to do. However, in this case, you can probably justify it for a variety of reasons. One, you mentioned the talent. You know, I'll, you know, again, However, one wants to rank these things. You know, Pro Football Focus rated him, I think, sixth or seventh among guards last last year. You know, the All Pro or even Pro Bowl stuff. A lot of that can kind of go off of reputation. But whether you know, he's not. I don't think he's clearly the best guard in football. And Quentin Nelson with the Colts is that guy. I don't even know if he's definitively number two. But whatever, he's somewhere up there and all that. But beyond that, he's your guy. He's been here. Um, you know, they talk about a culture. He obviously is exactly the type of guy that Ron Rivera is preaching. And I think on some level, you got to remember, they just let Trent Williams go last year. Ryan Kerrigan's likely going now. So, you know, to let Brandon Sheriff go also, like these are like three of the guys that, you know, we all talked about in that kind of way, you know, not that long ago. So that would be a lot to let walk out the door. So to that end, it might be worth it. And then also to, to note that, you know, as we just discussed, they probably are not paying a quarterback top dollar this year. All those defensive linemen are, are essentially still on their rookie deals as of right now, unless they give Jonathan Allen some type of extension or even then, I guess he's still on his rookie deal, whatever. Um, you know, like, you know, a lot of the guys who are the better players are not all getting paid, like, you know, paying, paid big money. So you could sort of justify giving the money to the guard as well. Plus, like, also, like, they don't, they don't have, a, you know, another offensive lineman receiving anything like that, uh, you know, unless they go out and sign a, a tackle. So I think you can justify it in that way. Um, I, yeah, I believe it's that. I think you could justify giving a really good player that money, under, especially under the circumstances that they find me. One more Washington football team item, and then I do want to ask you about the Wizards. So you were all over the revamping of the front office as it was going on a few weeks back. You've got this very unique setup now with three former general managers on board, right? In Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew, and Chris Polian. I know you talked to a lot of executives and scouts and agents. Is the general belief with this new look Washington football team front office that they've done a good thing, albeit unique, in having three different former GMs at or near the top of the front office? Or is there a fear of, you know, like the old cliche goes, too many chefs in the kitchen, 
You know, too many potential egos, too many guys who haven't worked with each other in the past. What's kind of the view of this? Which, again, it's not something you see a lot of hiring a bunch of former GMs and loading up on those types in your front office. Yeah, I mean, I think people in general are pretty positive about Herney and Mayhew just, you know, based on who they are and and, and as people and and, and what they've done in their careers. And I think there's still probably a little bit of confusion about the whole setup, in part because when those guys were the GMs before they were kind of in charge, now even, now, now Ron Rivera is in charge. So what's the line between these guys do what they do, but ultimately Ron Rivera is making the, Called, you know, if Martin Mayhew really likes some, you know, linebacker with the 19th pick, is that the pick? <laughs> or is Ron Rivera saying, well, I hear you, Martin, but I, I think we need tackle and there's this guy here, let's go that route. Like, it, you know, it doesn't, I think that's the part that's sort of confusing and may be that way until the you know, plans are put into place and we hear, you know, more about what, what went down. Um, so, but I think by and large, people are. I seem to be, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty cool with, with the situation with, with what Washington is doing, and don't see it as a negative. And I, I think also these guys, have, everybody has an ego, especially at, at, at the stage that they're all at. But relatively speaking, are not raging egomaniacs in any way, and therefore should be able to, you know, play along well with others. But yeah, it, it, ultimately, it will be interesting to see, you know, if Ron, if they all report to Ron Rivera, then what happens when, you know, we, we get to the, you know, we get to these moments and. and Yeah, and to your point, these guys do have very good reputations as people. Like, everybody loves Martin Mayhew, everybody loves Marty Herney, so you certainly have that going for you. But we've seen this in the past, right, where people shift into self-preservation mode and you got, you know, lack of organizational alignment. Hopefully, obviously, those days are behind us. All right, so for the Wizards, a chance tonight at Denver to cap off what would be a three-and-one trip out west with wins at Portland at the Lakers, and then at the Nuggets, if in fact the Wiz can get the job done on Thursday night. Now, the loss at the Clippers on Tuesday night was very disappointing, no doubt, but you had that five-game winning streak. My, my simple question to you is this. Are the Wizards a an, an at least pretty good team or decent team that just got off to a really bad start at 3-12, and 12, or are the Wizards a bad team that just happens to be playing a bit better lately? What do you think is the right framing of what we've seen from the Wizards here? <laughs> Um, I think I would probably frame it like this. I had this conversation with somebody else earlier, essentially. I think I would frame it like this. I think the Wizards can be a good team if Russell Westbrook is playing well. I think what we've seen this year is, look, I mean, not giving the Wizards a pass because everybody's dealing with the pandemic, but obviously their situation was pretty dramatic, how many games they had to miss, how much time they were off. Uh, And then, you know, on top of that, Westbrook, you know, after the trade – you know, isn't he can't? He's clearly not healthy. Can't can't play back to back. Davis Burton wasn't in shape and, and had some setbacks. They lose Thomas Bryant. So okay, you know, there's some things going on there, and they had looked better lately. But I think it comes down to what happens with Westbrook when he is good. You know, you have two All NBA level guards, and that's a massive difference. Um, you know, for for how how to view this team. Also, though, when he's not good which has certainly been the case several games when he doesn't look that he can, you know, be as the explosive version of him that we've seen. He doesn't get out of the way. He's very ball dominant. He's very involved, and that's going to bring things down. He also becomes a, a sieve defensively when he's in that mode athletically. So 
it's not 100% on him. I just think we know what we're getting with Bradley Beal. You know, 30 points a game, even more than that. He's not, it's not just he's just a, he's not just a chucker. He's, he's been pretty efficient. He's, you know, he does a lot for you all on both ends of the court. On, you know, most nights I think. Um, and you know, you, you need Davis Bertans to make a shot. You need Rui Hachimura and, and Debbie Avdia to, to continue to develop. And we've seen signs of that for sure lately, especially with Hachimura. But ultimately, Westbrook is such a dominant figure that like he needs to be good. And when he's been good, which has been a lot of games. During this streak, they beat the Nets twice. He played good in those games. Um, you know, I think then they want the Wizards look good. And again, to be clear, by good, I'm saying like my pre- my preseason prediction was they had six or seven seed upside. I would say some version of that as well, at least in terms of level. I, I you know getting. I mean, there's still so much of the season left. It's just a weird year. I and mean, they're only four, four, four and a half games out of fourth in this crazy. East. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so. Um, so, the, so that's all. That's part of factor two. So, yeah, I just think Westbrook is what he is is such a massive factor for whether this team is actually good on any given night or not. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense, and I think it's dead on. Ben, always love talking Washington football team and Wizards with you. Check him out on the Athletic DC and also the Standing Room Only podcast. Ben Standing, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Al, anything for you, man. Thanks. The time has come. It is time for the juicy stuff. Let's get to the controversy. Let's get to why you're listening to me on this podcast and not on the radio. Let's get to what happened between myself and the Team 980. I have promised you this conversation. I've been waiting for like a slower news day to do this, and today's kind of a slower news day. We didn't have the Capitals or the Wizards or the Terrapins or the Hoyas playing yesterday. Didn't really have any major Nationals news uh, yesterday. Spring training is going on. Everyone did participate in the full squad workout yesterday. Looks like Max Scherzer is on the mend from his sprained ankle. So all that's good news. But uh, today shapes up to be a good day to do this. So what is the truth about the departure? Well, uh, I was at the station in some capacity for nearly 23 years. It was a long time, and it's a time in my life I will never, ever forget. So what exactly went down? Well, the truth is, I got fired. Uh, I got future endeavored. You know know the saying, we wish you the best in your future endeavors? I got future endeavored. Uh, I got an email on a Tuesday night from Chris Kynard. He's the program director for 980 and 1067 The Fan. 980, as many of you listening know, was acquired by 1067 The Fan's parent company, Entercom, This past November, and that was when we had an initial round of departures from the station. You know, guys who'd been there forever, people like Doc Walker and Scott Lynn and Chris Johnson. So I got the email from Kynard saying that he wanted to catch up with me on a few things after the next day's show. And so shortly after 12 p.m. the following day, which was Wednesday, January 27th, I got fired. Uh, That was the catching up. Hey, Goldie, how's the family? How's the kids? You're fired. Get out. Don't ever come back. Well, it wasn't exactly like that, but you get the idea. Uh, you know, I was told the station wanted to go in a different direction. And some of you have asked me if I saw this coming. And the answer is no, I did not see this coming. At least not in the moment. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a bit. But I definitely did not see this coming in large part because about two weeks earlier, I had had a lengthy conversation with Kynard, a conversation that he initiated just to like talk about his philosophies with radio and what he thought about how I was doing, and the conversation was great, very positive, uh, very productive. I genuinely enjoyed the conversation. Chris knows the radio business very well, and he had some good ideas for how to make what I did 
even better. He by no means was like, you know, Galdi, you suck. Or, Galdi, you really need to work on this. You really need to try that. You know, your back's against the wall, pal. You better start changing and upping your game or you're going to be out. Like, there was none of that in the conversation. And just the fact that you took the time to have the conversation, I thought was a pretty good sign. Like, why would you take the time to talk to someone for nearly an hour and meticulously go through how that person does what he does if you were planning on firing that person sometime soon anyway. Like, it just it didn't make a ton of sense. You know, he had texted me and emailed me over the previous few weeks complimenting things that I was doing. And so, especially when you add to that the fact that Entercom had kept me on upon acquiring 980 in November, no, I did not see the firing coming. And honestly, I'm not even sure if he saw the firing coming. You know, Entercom is a big company. It's a publicly traded company. There's a lot out there these days influencing what big companies do. And so I believe, and I know I'm not the only one who believes this, that, you know, there may have been orders from above to change some things, orders rooted in things not having anything to do with me or my work. You know, here's another thing too. Kynard, in the very same conversation in which he fired me, said that he was interested in me doing nighttime, weekend, and that shows for 1067 and 980. So, I mean, if he thought I sucked, why did he right away say that he wanted me to still do stuff for 980 and do stuff for 1067? Like, it wasn't like, you're fired, I never want to hear from you again. It was, you're fired, but, you know, I'm thinking about this and maybe you could do that. So, you know, it, it was, in a lot of ways, an amicable departure. It wasn't like some, you know, bloody discussion and yelling and screaming and all that kind of a thing. And I want to make something very clear in our conversation here right now. Entercom had every right to get rid of me. Entercom owns 980. Entercom can do whatever it wants with 980. Who am I to tell Entercom how to run the station? And I'd say the same thing about Kynard. He can do as he sees fit with 980. I, I don't hate him. I don't hate Entercom. I disagree with what they did, okay? I think they made a big mistake, but I can understand where they may have been coming from. So I'm not trying to play some sympathy card I'm not trying to act like a victim or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell things to you as I experienced them and as I saw them. You know, as Mike Shanahan said in his dying days as Washington head coach, I'm just trying to be as honest with you as I can. What I'm trying to do is be as honest as I can. And I don't normally do that. (laughs) That was the best, where Mike finally admitted that he'd been lying so often over the previous four years. But this time, this time, he wasn't lying. This time... He was telling the truth. You got to believe me. I've been lying to you all this time, but this time I'm telling you the truth. Well, I am telling you the truth as I experience things. But just to be clear, me being let go from 980 was not, say, a money thing. You know, this was not a money thing. I was far, very far from the most expensive host at 980. By no means did I have, shall we say, a massive cap hit, okay? Me getting fired did not have to do with money. Money never even came up, not once. I did not make a ton. I was grateful for what I made, but by no means did I have one of the bigger cap hits at the station. Alex Smith, I was not when it came to my cap hit. Albert Hainsworth, I was not when it came to my cap hit. Me being let go from 980 was not like an age thing. You know, I know Entercom has talked about 980 needing to get younger. I I was the youngest host at the station. The bottom line is this. It is a privilege to work in radio, not a right. People get hired and fired in radio for all kinds of reasons. And often those reasons aren't fair or don't make much sense, but that's the business. And you know that when you're in the business. This is the business that we've chosen, as the saying goes. And I'm very grateful for my time 
at 980. I was at 980 in some capacity for nearly 23 years. I climbed the ladder at 980. I started as a promotions intern on Memorial Day weekend, 1998. I went from promotions intern to programming intern to part-time producer to full-time producer to part-time update guy to full-time update guy to part-time show host to full-time show host. And I'm very proud of all that. I am. I'm not perfect. I'm aware of that. But I'm proud of what I did, especially given that I wasn't handed anything. I wasn't related to or friends with some high-level person at the station who just gave me a job. I didn't play for the Washington football team and get handed a show. I had to earn what I got at 980. And, you know, I climbed the ladder, rung by rung. And I'm very thankful for my time at the station and for all of the people I worked with and learned from at the station. And I wish the station the best, and I wish the people working at the station the best. And I mean that. Now, all of that said, there's a bigger picture to all of this. I said earlier that in the moment, I was surprised when I got fired. And I was. I was stunned. But in the bigger picture, I wasn't surprised. Not at all. And that has everything to do with what has happened to the Team 980. The station has not been in a good place for a while. And the truth is, I started preparing for the possibility of starting a podcast almost a year ago. The Team 980 WTEM, the first all-sports radio station in D.C., started as Sports Radio 570, Memorial Day weekend, 1992. I grew up listening to WTEM. I dreamed of one day working at WTEM. So being there in some capacity for nearly 23 years was a dream come true. And I know that sounds corny, but it's the truth. I love the station. I still love the station. Like I just said, I don't wish ill on the station or anyone who works there. But there's no doubt that the station has fallen. It's fallen hard. And I won't bore you with every detail as to why that is. I'm not sure how interesting that is to people outside of radio. I mean, I guess if you want to hear more, let me know and I can certainly talk about this. But The truth about WTEM is this. The last six years have been a nightmare. Since basically 2015, things have spiraled downward. Bad ownership. And really not even bad ownership, but unwilling ownership. I.e., multiple companies owning the station that didn't want to own the station. Bad management. Zero direction. Zero plan. Zero stability. The station was owned by a company called Red Zebra for 10 years, 2008 to 2018. The primary investor in Red Zebra was Dan Snyder. So 980 was essentially owned by the Washington football team. And the Washington football team, for whatever reason, acted like it was embarrassed to own 980. And here's a perfect example. Those of you who have regularly attended games at FedEx Field, let me ask you something. How often have you seen signs? for the Team 980. How often have you seen any indication for the Team 980 being the flagship for the Washington football team, let alone being owned by the Washington football team? How prevalent has any kind of signage for the Team 980 at FedEx Field been? Now compare that with the outstanding signage that 106.7 has had for years at Nationals Park behind the left center field wall. Anytime someone homers at Nats Park to left center, you see that massive sign for 106.7 The Fan. Do you know how valuable that has been to 106.7 over the years? Do you know how much television television exposure, both locally and nationally, that the sign has gotten? You see that sign when watching games on Masson. 
You see that sign when watching that's highlights on ESPN and MLB Network. The value of that signage has been incalculable. And the Nats never owned 106.7. The Nats just had a, you know, normal, healthy, functional relationship with 106.7. 980 was owned by the football team. Owned! And the football team acted like 980 was this illegitimate child, you know, born via some one-night stand. 980 was the child that nobody was allowed to talk about. You know, at one point, an email was sent out to the sales staff at 980 explicitly telling the staff to stop focusing on selling advertising for 980 shows and to only focus on selling advertising for Skins games. Now, think about that. You make money in radio by your salespeople selling advertising. The salespeople literally were told to stop selling the station and to only sell Skins games. It was unbelievable. The whole situation was absurd. Now, in 2018, 980 got sold to another company, Urban One. And Urban One is one of the most successful radio companies in the country. Started and is based in the D.C. area. Owned stations all over the country. A great success story from a standpoint of being minority-owned. Urban One actually owns two of the most successful radio stations in D.C., 93.9 WKYS and Magic 102.3. So 2018, the sale happens. 980, finally, with new ownership. You know, finally, 980 is going to be owned and operated by a real radio company. The savior had arrived. You know, the illegitimate child was being adopted by welcoming foster parents, a mommy and a daddy, who were going to give 980 some much-needed tender love and care. Well, not so fast. The, uh, the foster parents turned out to be not so fostering. Urban One had very little experience owning sports radio stations. Urban One had a great track record with music stations, but Urban One virtually zero track record with sports stations. And long story short, Urban One did not have a clue what to do with us. Buying us was an impulse buy. Urban One, I mean, very nice people. I, I got nothing bad to say about any of them as people. But when it came to Urban One having like a plan for 980, There was no plan, zero strategy, zero direction, zero urgency. Here's all you need to know about Urban One. Urban One did nothing with and seemingly had no interest in doing anything with Go-Go Thursday. I mean, Go-Go Thursday, as you know, I have done it for years. Every Thursday, right? Go-Go songs when coming into the show, back from breaks. Go-Go Thursday was something different, something unique. I mean, I'm not saying I like reinvented the wheel with Go-Go Thursday, but I thought it was, you know, a fun thing and certainly something that you could sell, certainly something that you could market, especially via a company like Urban One, okay? I mean, again, minority owned and operated, nation's capital, Washington, D.C., 50% black is Washington, D.C. Urban One did nothing with Go-Go Thursday. El Zilcho with Go Go Thursday. And like that to me is just a microcosm for just the wasted opportunity that was 980 under the Urban One ownership. And then Urban One, after just a little more than two years of owning 980, dumps 980 onto Entercom. And what was actually a multi station trade between the two companies this past November. 980 was like the Jared Goff in the Urban One Entercom trade uh, this past November. The the last six years for the Team 980 have been a nightmare. Ask anyone else who has worked there. I promise you that person will agree with me. And one of the results of all of this over the last six years has been zero stability with the lineup at 980. Do you know how many times since 2015 the lineup on 980 has changed? I don't. I lost track a long time ago. You know, you build an audience in radio with not just great shows, but consistency with your shows. You have to give shows time to grow. You have to give listeners a chance to develop a familiarity and routine with your shows. And 
980 since 2015 has not done that at all. And not to play the victim card, because I'm not a victim, but nobody at 980 got jerked around over the last five years more than I did with these lineup changes. Here were just the regular weekday show assignments that I had since 2016. Never mind what I had to like fill in for people or anything like that, but just like in terms of primary, regularly scheduled duty. Here's how much I got bounced around, never at my own request, never with any actual input from me over the last five years. I mean, I, I, I crack up when I look at this. I did the morning blitz 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. I did the morning blitz 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. I did the morning blitz 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. I did Doc and Galdi 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. I did Doc and Galdi 9 a.m. to noon. I did the Al Galdi show 9 a.m. to noon. All of this was since 2016. I mean, this constant change. How, as a listener, were you ever supposed to become familiar or truly attached to specific shows when the shows were changing all the time? And I was far from the only person who got bounced around with things. Again, zero stability, zero plan, zero direction. None of this ever had to be the case, okay? None of this ever had to happen. The station did not deserve this. You, the listener, did not deserve this. All of this was totally avoidable. You know, constant lineup changes, constant name changes for the station too. I haven't even talked about that yet, right? Think about how many times the name of the station has changed over the years here. Uh, Sports Talk 980, then ESPN 980, then the Team 980, then the Team 980 and 95.9 FM. Now back to being the Team 980. It's unbelievable. It's been like, you know, this constant identity crisis. No direction, no plan. It's not been good. And it's really unfortunate, and it never had to be the case. And so when it comes to moving from radio to doing this podcast, I do have to say, while I'm certainly not like happy that I got let go, there is a big part of me that's grateful, grateful that I no longer have to deal with being bounced around all the time. You know, like that part of radio, I will not miss not one bit, but I do want to make something very clear again. I wish 980 the best. I wish both stations well. Whatever negative feelings I have are over the fall of the Team 980 that, like I have said, just never had to happen. Like, that's what bothers me more than anything. So that's what happened with me. And that's what has happened with 980. I have no idea if what I just said was interesting or compelling. But there you go. And now I feel like we can move forward. You know, I feel like we've gotten it all out. It's all been put on the table and I'm very excited about this podcast. So that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Have a great rest of your Thursday. I'll talk to you on Friday. And the other one's a guard. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.